Welcome to Turning Point. In most of the world, churches face only modest inconvenience. But in some places, the pain of persecution is a harsh reality. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah shares a special message from his series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, with a focus on the persecuted church. Christ's words to this church are well worth hearing as David introduces the suffering church. And we thank you for joining us today as we open our Bibles together to the book of Revelation. We're going to spend four days uh, talking about two different churches that we've chosen uh, to fill in these final days of the month of May. These are really good stories and really uh, instructive uh, passages of Scripture. Today, the suffering church, the church of Smyrna, and then on Monday, the church of Philadelphia. In just a moment, we'll begin in the second chapter of Revelation and the eighth verse. We're running out of time during this month to tell you about our resource for the month, which is After the Rapture, a book we have um, just completed. And I know it's in the book, and I know that we've put this together in such a way to encourage people who may not know Jesus Christ to put their trust in him. And you will want to have not just one for yourself, but one for people you care about. After the rapture details what happens on this earth after the church is removed. It's a place you don't want to be. And believe it or not, it's a place you don't have to be because you can put your trust in Jesus and be a part of the rapture. Please ask for your copy of this book when you send your gift to Turning Point today. Just say, please send me the book after the rapture, and it'll be on its way to you before you know it. And now let's open our Bibles to Revelation 2 and talk about the suffering church. What do you say to somebody who is suffering? How do you counsel people who are going through great times of sorrow and tribulation? What would you say to an individual whose family has been torn apart because of the stand they have taken for Christ? What if your neighbor has lost his job and was experiencing poverty? How would you reach out to him and what would you say? We have all been in this awkward position at one time or another as friends and counselors. We have done our best, given it our best shot, and often have walked away from our conversations wondering if what we said was the right thing said in the right way. Wouldn't it be great if there were a page of the Word of God with exactly the right words to say for each situation that we face? I mean, something like a counseling manual with an index. Well, the more you study the Bible and the more you realize you have precisely that kind of book, the more anxious you are to know more and more about what the Bible says because ultimately it provides you the best answers. As you become familiar with every section and message in the Scripture, you are able little by little to locate central passages on almost every situation in life. Here before us is our Lord's own formula for encouraging those who are going through suffering and sorrow and pain. It is a personal letter written to a church that was living in tremendous pressure. Please take note because you are going to need what Jesus said to this church sometime in your life. 
Suffering, you see, touches every one of our lives at one time or another. We cannot avoid it, and preparing for it is something that always makes us stronger. And the church of Smyrna, mentioned in the letter that was sent to her, was located 35 miles north of Ephesus. It was founded as a Greek colony on the summit of the hill of Pagos, about 1000 B.C., Smyrna was captured and destroyed by hostile forces in 600 B.C. General Lysimachus, one of Alexander's four generals, rebuilt the city in 300 and 281 B.C. It was a matter of pride with the inhabitants of Smyrna that their city had died and had lived again. Smyrna was the proudest and most beautiful city of Asia and is considered by historians as the most beautiful city the Greeks ever built. The city sloped to the sea. Its splendid buildings on the rounded top of the hill of Pegasus constituted what was known as the crown of Smyrna. And along the slopes of the hill was one of the largest Greek amphitheaters accommodating over 20,000 people. The coins of Smyrna boasted that she was the first city of Asia. Some called Smyrna the glory of Asia. It was here that Caesar worship was centered for all of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And beside all of this, Smyrna was the birthplace of Homer, the great Greek poet. The city is today known as Ismar, the Turkish corruption of the word Smyrna. It is by far the largest metropolis in Asia Minor today, and it has a population of over 275,000 people. Now, no one knows for sure how the church in Smyrna got started. Its history is not written in the book of Acts, as many of the churches of the New Testament are. Most probably it was started as an outreach of the church in Ephesus. Remember, it was only 35 miles away by sea. Paul had directed a three-year campaign, the Bible says, when he was in Ephesus, and he caused all of Asia to hear the word of God. That surely would have included the little island of Smyrna. And this is one of the two churches in the list of seven churches to which the Lord does not say anything negative. Ephesus was a good church, but the Lord said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. When you read the letter to the Smyrnians, you don't find anything that he says that's negative. What was there about this congregation that caused it to suffer so much? Well, I think, first of all, the church was despised and disdained in the city because of its insignificance. Think with me about this for just a moment. On the street of the gods in the city of Smyrna, or the Golden Street in Smyrna, were huge, impressive shrines to Sybil and Apollo. At the end of the street, elevated above the city, was the temple of Jupiter. But where were the Christians in Smyrna to be found? They were huddled in homes, hiding in the catacombs, quietly worshiping the Lord. The pagan Jews and the Greeks of the city abhorred and despised the simplicity of these early Christians, and they persecuted them simply because they had no standing in the city whatsoever. But perhaps the real reason for the persecution of Christians in Smyrna lies in the worship of Caesar, which was centered in that city. Smyrna was the first city ever to build a temple to honor Rome and Tiberius the emperor. 
To the average Christian, Rome has always been held in disrepute because of the published reports of her cruel treatment of the church. We consider the Romans kind of like tyrants, but the people of that day did not consider Rome like that at all. The citizens of Rome loved their government. The Pax Romana, or the peace of Rome, took from the Roman people the fear of any kind of war. War was abolished simply because Rome had become so strong that no one could ever attempt to attack her. And the Roman government was also responsible for linking together the great systems of roads that pushed the empire into an almost instant touch with one another. The Romans banished pirates from the high seas and they established a system of law that governed the disputes of the people. No, no, no. If you lived in Rome back in those days, you loved Rome. Rome made everything work for you. Rome took care of all your needs. You didn't despise Rome at all. The Roman Empire was a blessing to the people and the people were very grateful and they were willing to worship the spirit of Rome. But when it became difficult to worship the spirit of Rome, it was just a small step to begin worshiping the spirit of Rome as it was personified in the emperor himself. The emperors began to be worshipped, and at first they resisted it. Then reluctantly they accepted it, and finally not only did they accept it, they expected it and actually began to accrue to themselves the attributes of deity. By the time the book of Revelation was written, emperor worship was compulsory. John was banished to Patmos, and the churches were persecuted because they would not bow down to Caesar and declare their loyalty to Rome. They refused to burn a pinch of incense in the temple dedicated to the emperor and confess, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. They refused to do that. And because the Christians refused to burn that little pinch of incense, they were marked men and women. They were considered traitors. They were disloyal to the government. The persecution was not so much religious as it was political. To be a Christian in the Roman Empire was to live in jeopardy every day. And in Smyrna, a city that prided itself as the center of emperor worship, it meant pressure and poverty and persecution. Some Christians in Smyrna were tortured on the rack, which was a wheel about two feet wide and about eight feet tall. The ankles of the dissenter would be chained to the floor and his wrists to the wheel or the rack. And every time the believer was asked to recant and refused, the rack would be tightened until his limbs were actually torn from his body. Other Christians were burned in boiling oil. Others were crucified. Many were thrown to the hungry lions before 50,000 bloodthirsty people in the Colosseums. The most painful torture was to be burned slowly at the stake. No, my friends, the suffering of the Christians in Smyrna is described for us in Christ's letter by three words, pressure, poverty, and persecution. Notice as you look at your Bibles, I know your tribulation. In the letter to the church, Jesus says, I know your tribulation. And the word tribulation is the Greek word flipsis, which means pressure. The picture is one of placing a heavy rock upon a man's chest until it crushes him to death. 
It is like the grinding of a millstone until wheat is produced. It is like the pressure that squeezes wine out of the grapes. The Christians were under constant pressure from the pagan society around them. There was never a moment of any relief. There was never a day off. It was constant, uninterrupted pressure. And they also experienced poverty. Notice it says in the text, I know your poverty. There are two key words for poverty in the New Testament language. The first word is the word penia, P-E-N-I-A. We get our word penny from that word. The word in John's day referred to a man who had to work for a living and just got by. He was a poor man forced to work hard in order just to survive. But there's another word for poverty in the New Testament, and that's the word tokia. It means absolute poverty. It means beggarly. It means destitute. This word was reserved to describe someone who was absolutely, utterly without any means of supporting himself at all. It describes a man who was unable to put food on his table. In the midst of the wealth of this ancient city, the believers were tokia. They were penniless and poor and were suffering from abject poverty. Their poverty was due to their faith in Christ. Not only were they mobbed and looted and robbed, they were boycotted in the city. When people knew that they were followers of Christ, they were banned from making a living. The trade unions and the businesses shut them out because they considered them disloyal to the emperor and thus to the empire. Now, there's a kind of heroic excitement to persecution. Under such pressure, many daring and exciting things are accomplished. But if you add to persecution daily financial and family burdens, the load is almost too heavy to bear. And such was the experience of the Christians who lived in Smyrna. They suffered from pressure and poverty and persecution. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The word blasphemy might better be translated here by our word slander. A group of unbelieving Jews had been drawn to Smyrna because of the business opportunities generated by the myrrh business. And they were probably Jewish converts who did not want to leave the synagogue or the Jewish traditions, and they tried to marry the works of Judaism and the grace of Christianity. And Ephesus had men who said they were apostles and were not, And Smyrna had men who said they were Jews and were not. And they persecuted the people. They caused them great harm in every way they moved. Every day in Smyrna, things became worse and worse for men and women who called the name of Christ. Now, to this suffering family of believers, Jesus writes this letter and he tells them two things. I want you to see what he said. This is where the advice of the Lord to suffering people comes in. One is a negative prohibition and the other is a positive instruction. The first thing he says to them in verse 10 is, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now that sounds a bit naive on the part of the Lord. The church in Smyrna was to face the trials that we have talked about. And Jesus comes to them and says, do not let your life be controlled by fear. 
It's almost like what David said in the 23rd Psalm with which we are so familiar. Fear not. Don't have any fear of evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus comes to the people of Smyrna with a simple instruction. I don't want you to be afraid. Suffering, imprisonment, and martyrdom are to be met with the gracious word of the Lord. Don't be afraid. But notice, there's another word from the Lord Jesus that's even perhaps more important. He says in verse 10, be faithful until death. Now, there's some disagreement as to what this means. I mean, does this mean to be faithful until you're killed for your faithfulness? Or does it mean just to be faithful all through your life until you die a natural death? Really doesn't make any difference. The severity of the persecution at that time, I would be inclined to think that Jesus was saying, you may end up losing your life for your faith, but be faithful unto death. Because if you will notice a little bit later in this text, Jesus sees life from eternal perspective. And he wants us to learn how to do that as well. And even though this is a short letter, there are five things I want to tell you that we need to know about this letter that will help us not be afraid, but to live in faith. The opposite of fear is not courage for the believer. The opposite of fear for the believer is faith. Faith in God, faith in what God has said, faith in who God is, faith in what he has promised us. Now notice, these five things come right out of the text, so let me just give them to you quickly. First of all, the Lord wanted the believers in Smyrna to know that the reputation of Christ was better than the reputation of Rome. He says in verse 8, these things say the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now, remember, the description of Christ was chosen by the Lord from the vision of chapter 1. It was meant to disarm fear. In fact, in Revelation 1.17, we read, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. Smyrna was a perfect church to be addressed like this. In her suffering and persecution, she needed to be encouraged by the one whose name transcended all the limitations of space and time. Christ was the first in the dawn of creation, and he will be the last at the end of creation. This claim to eternity is based on the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and the eyes of the church was to suffer were fixed on the fact that Jesus Christ was still alive after they had done everything they could to him. He was still the first and the last. What Jesus is saying is this, through all of the trial you have ever had, I am the beginning of it and I shall be the end of it. And there shall be with you through all of this the one whose name is the first and the last. The citizens of Smyrna who fought against the believers and slandered them with false accusations and scorn stood in proud opposition to these simple, humble believers. After all, their city was the first of all Asia and their culture was the last word. Were they not the city that had died and come alive again? <laughs> How proud were they, citizens of Smyrna, and the more to be despised were these peasant believers. 
But the Christians were to be courageous and faithful because they were citizens of another country whose king was the eternal God. He had been dead and he was alive. He was their resurrected Savior and they should take heart because he was the real first and the real last. And so should we take heart today. It is awful hard when you live in the midst of the struggles and challenges of life to remember that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. (laughs) That this isn't everything there is or will be. That this is a moment in the scheme of God's plan. And he is the first. And he is the last. The reputation of Christ was better than the reputation of Rome. Number two, the recognition of Christ was better than the recognition of Rome. Notice what Jesus says to them in verse 9. I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. First of all, as we look at verse 2, let me point out that in many manuscripts, the word thy works are not found here in verse 9. What Jesus actually said was this, I know your tribulation and I know your persecution. And his knowledge was not just that he was aware of it. He was not just aware of their problems. He uses a word for know that goes much deeper than that. It is the word oida and it means to know by experience. What Jesus was saying to the church was this, whatever you're experiencing, I know it. I don't know just about it, I have experienced it myself. The Lord recognized their suffering and their trial, and he'd already been there before them. They were to take charge and remain faithful because the one they served understood what they were experiencing. What words of encouragement these were. What a tower of strength to a suffering church or a suffering Christian. We hear the Lord Jesus saying to us, I know, I know. Here is the mighty God and the suffering Savior saying to us in our struggles, my child, I know. No, I don't just know about it. I know it in my own soul. The one who for three years lived under the sentence of death says, I know your pressure. The one who had no place to lay his head and was poorer than the foxes and the birds had himself said, I know your poverty. The one who was slandered and lied about and falsely accused and whipped and brutally beaten and hung upon a Roman cross, we hear him saying, I know your persecution. And we've learned this from the book of Hebrews, that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You can almost hear the Lord as you pray to him and say, Lord, do you know what I'm going through? And you hear the Lord say, my child, I know. I don't know just about it. I've already been there. I've experienced it. Hmm. The Bible sure is an encouraging book, isn't it? It is a book that really helps you when you read it. No matter what you're going through, even uh, in difficult times, when you read the scripture, if you read it and you determine by the grace of God, you're going to hear what God says to you. He will speak to you, and oftentimes he speaks words of comfort. We'll have more from the Church of Smyrna. 
tomorrow here on Turning Point. I hope you join us then. Hey, friends, don't forget, uh, time is running out for you to go to Alaska with us. We want you to visit this beautiful place and see God's creative work. It's July 16th through the 23rd, and uh, we're going to have quite a group of folks with us. A lot of folks just want to go somewhere. We want to go and be with God's people and see this beautiful part of God's creation. If you want information about the Alaska Cruise Conference, you need to go to davidjeremiah.org. There you will find everything you need to make your reservation and to join us. We look forward to seeing you then and to joining with you in this beautiful experience, the experience we call Alaska. The book after the rapture is yours for the asking, as I mentioned, when you send your gift. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, the final part of The Suffering Church as we close out this week together. Thank you once again for your participation and your response, your giving and your prayers. Uh, We are doing a good thing together, and I'm grateful for the partnership. For more information on this special message from Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, an end times guide to survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow for more of this special message from the seven churches of Revelation right here on Turning Point. Are you looking for a simple way to talk with unbelievers about the end times? This month, for a donation of any amount, you can receive Dr. David Jeremiah's newest book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. And for $40 or more, you can receive two copies of this book to share with unsaved friends. Or for a generous donation of $85 or more, you'll also receive an additional booklet and DVD to help you refresh your knowledge of the end times. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to get your copy today. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. An ancient Chinese proverb is worth considering today. The sheep has no choice when in the jaws of the wolf. Let me say that again. The sheep has no choice when in the jaws of the wolf. 
Now let me suggest just one application to be made from that dramatic illustration. If we procrastinate in life, if we put off planning and moving ahead with our plans, we eliminate the freedom that planning allows. That is, we find ourselves in the jaws of the wolf. Circumstances dictate our choices to us. The solution? Listen to the words of Proverbs 16.9. When you make your plans, submit them to God. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover freedom in God's plans on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.